Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by StoryWorth. June 17th, it's Father's Day, and StoryWorth might just be the gift of all gifts that will last a lifetime. For $20 off your subscription, visit storyworth.com forward slash brain. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach, and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. This is a show where I read your questions and help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, the subject of today's episode mostly is guilt. In the second segment, I'm going to read an email from someone who talks about guilt and how guilty he feels about, um, you know, you'll, you'll find out. <laughs> no big reveal here, but uh, he's had issues with his dad and uh, stuff like that. So uh, I want to kind of save that for the second segment and talk about in this first segment what I do with guilt. Because guilt can come in many forms or at least uh, from many places. For example, my girlfriend and I were taking a walk last night. We went by a supermarket and we saw a probably a guy in his 30s maybe sitting on the side of the road holding a cardboard sign. And you already know where I'm going with this, but I'm going to say the story and you know, as I walk by these people, uh, especially when I lived in Oregon, you saw a lot of these in Portland. Um, there were so many homeless people that you had to learn to deal with your emotions. You had to learn to deal with what was going on inside of you because even if you chose to give to a homeless person, there was another one 50 feet away and then another one and then another one. And there was a lot of them. And what do you do when you have these guilty feelings come up? I mean, if it comes up for you, some people don't, but some people do. And that's, what I felt when I was living in Oregon, also California. In California, San Diego, I guess I moved to places that have a lot of homeless people, but, you know, it's prevalent everywhere. But uh, San Diego has a huge homeless population. And so there's a lot of people with cardboard signs, and there's also a lot of people without signs, and they're just walking around homeless and, quite honestly, picking garbage out of trash. I've seen it, and it was disturbing. It was sad that people have this um, result of whatever happened in their life, the chain of events that led them to this place. But homelessness is often what many of us will feel guilty about, probably because we have a home, probably because a lot of us have work and a lot of us have money or at least money to buy food. And we see these people on the street and we think, Oh, gee, I have money to buy food and this person doesn't. And so then our guilty feelings come up. So 
Let me get back to the story uh, where my girlfriend and I were walking last night, and when I walk by uh, what appears to be a homeless person or a beggar or whoever they are, I no longer feel guilty. Not because I'm desensitized, but because of something I did while living in San Diego, and I'll tell you in a moment. You may have heard this before, but um, if you haven't, it has absolved me. I don't know if that's the right word. It has uh, helped me diminish my guilt. But my girlfriend, when she walks by someone like that, holding a sign, uh, she gets those feelings. I mean, after we walked by, she goes, I don't know why. I feel guilty, and I always feel a little bit of guilt when we, when we walk by someone like that. And so we talk about it and find out you know, what that's about. And I told her last night, just do what I do. She goes, remind me what you do. And I said, you know, when I lived in San Diego, I could not stand feeling guilty all the time. I see homeless people all the time, and I couldn't stand it. So I finally decided to visit a an organization that worked with homeless people, that sheltered them, that fed them, that actually drove around at night uh, finding them and giving them a card to get to the shelter, uh, like a, an address, um, gave them food. They did a lot of work with homeless people. So I learned the ins and outs of the organization that worked with these people and also asked them about homelessness and you know why people get into this position, how people get into this position, and what they are doing to get out of it and uh, what they do during the day, what they do during the night. I had a lot of questions. Um, and it fascinated me because I learned a lot that uh, blew my assumptions out of the water. Like my first assumption was that homeless people aren't there by choice. They ended up there. And the director of this organization said, no, actually most of the homeless people that we talk to want to be homeless. Well, not homeless, but they don't want to be part of the system. They don't want to pay taxes. They don't want to live anywhere. They just want to be, uh, I guess, free. And I said, really? Uh, that's interesting. He said, not all of them, of course. Some of them get into this situation. They don't like it. They don't want it. But he, he said a lot of them, most of them, at least over 50%, uh, have chosen this path and know that they can be beggars and beg on the street and make money at it. And I was like, that's fascinating. I didn't realize that existed. I did. I just think that if you're on the street, you don't want to be there. And he goes, no, a lot of them do. And I said, okay, well, that's interesting. He said, another fact that is that um, many of them uh, have mental challenges. They're, they're mentally disabled in some way or have some sort of mental issue that they're dealing with. And that that's sad. I mean, having a mental challenge doesn't mean you deserve to be homeless. Of course not. But um, some of them don't even realize that it's a problem. They're mentally challenged in some way, and they have gotten used to this way of being, and some of them actually appreciate it and like it, which I found kind of surprising. But if you have mental challenges, maybe it's not a problem for them. Or maybe it is, and I'm too shallow to see it. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to dive into that right now, but... Um, that was an interesting factoid for me to learn about. And uh, another thing is that he says, you know, we give these cards out. We tell them where to go. We tell them uh, that we can help them get jobs. We can help them, you know, be a, a functioning member of society again. I don't know if those were his words, but 
uh, he said he wanted to help these people. And he said most of them don't want to come to this shelter. Most of them don't want to be in the system anymore. Most of them have the opportunity, have the option to get fed and get back on their feet, and they choose not to. Now, I'm only talking about this one organization in San Diego. I'm not talking about all over the world, but it fascinated me. It it really helped me understand my own feelings, my own emotions, the things I was fighting against, thinking that every homeless person I saw was down on his or her luck and didn't want to be there and would do anything to get a job and get into a uh, some sort of shelter or some sort of house, you know, get back on their feet. And so all of my guilt, or most of it, was not necessarily justified. I hate to put it that way because I don't want to diminish the problem of homelessness in the world, uh, but it really made me understand that I was forcing my own guilt upon me. Have you ever done this? Have you ever imagined something worse than it is? And then you find out that it isn't as bad as you painted? Again, I'm not diminishing the problem of homelessness. I'm just saying that I put a lot of guilt on myself because I had all these beliefs about homelessness. So, you know, there's other things to feel guilty about in the world, I'm sure, but I'm using this as a a general topic because a lot of us see these people on the side of the road holding signs and we think, oh, poor them. And, you know, sometimes that's valid. Poor them. You know, I feel bad for them. And some people are in desperate situations and do need help getting out. But if you actually get into the system, ask questions, ask the right people, talk to organizations, you start to find out that maybe it isn't everything you see. Maybe it isn't the picture you're painting. Some of it is, a lot of it may not be. And I'm I'm not speaking from inexperience here because as a former homeless person, not necessarily in the same situation as a lot of these people, but as someone who's lost all his money, lost his home, and had to go to the soup kitchen for several months, then get into the welfare system and get back on my feet, I have some history there. And I was one of those people who did not want to be there. I wasn't one of those people who was standing on the side of the street with a sign because I was the type of person to go to an organization and get fed, get clothes, get week old bread, connect with people in the know that were trying to help. It's amazing, you know, at least in the U.S., what systems are there to help people like that and how many people don't take advantage of those systems. So anyway, back to the idea of guilt. So with my guilt around homelessness, the just talking to that person really helped, really helped. But it didn't necessarily uh, take it all away. I still had some there because I knew there were some people that still needed resources and food and money and all that. Uh, so I still felt a little guilty there. And I thought to myself, what am I going to do with this guilt? And I asked myself the question, okay, why do I feel guilty? I mean, that's a great question. Why do I feel guilty? Well, I feel guilty because they're on the street and I'm going home tonight. Okay, um, how is that a problem? We'll do the drill down process. Uh, It's a problem because 
I feel like that I'm luckier than that person. I feel like I have more options than that person. Okay, so how is that a problem? Well, because I don't have to go hungry and they may go hungry. And they also may be cold and I have compassion for people and I don't want them to be hungry and cold. Okay, and then my next question would be, so how can you fix that problem? And I go, fix that problem? Well, I can, you know, feed them. I can even buy them clothes or blankets. I could even let them sleep at my house if I really wanted to dive into this and try to get myself to not feel guilty. And then during this thought process, and this is what I went through when I was in California, uh, I asked myself, uh, yeah, but that's only one person. What happens with the next person and the next person and the next person? And I get these guilty feelings over and over again. And I realized, well, there are systems in place to take care of these people. And that's when the light bulb went off. I was like, wait, why don't I support the system that takes care of these people instead of thinking I had to take care of each and every one myself? Because if there is a system available for these people to connect with and get food and shelter and get back on their feet, why wouldn't I support that system? And so that's when I made the decision that I was going to give some of my profit from my business back then uh, to the homeless shelter, to you know whatever organization that was. It was some sort of shelter. And when I made that proclamation or whatever, I suddenly felt no guilt. I suddenly felt like, hey, I am now part of the solution. I don't have to feel bad for not giving, for not helping. I'm actually helping a system that helps these people. So that process helped me get over my guilt about seeing homeless people on the street. It doesn't mean I don't feel bad. It just means that I don't feel guilty anymore. And I'm not saying this is going to work for you, but I think it's a great process to go through when you have guilt in trying to figure out, well, how can I resolve this? And this is in a broader scale with uh, a group of people that might need help in some way. Or maybe not. Maybe they don't think they need help. Maybe they don't want help. There were a lot of people that didn't want help. They liked being where they were, and they were making plenty of money standing on the street holding a sign. So if you have any guilt that comes up from seeing a homeless person, I'm not saying not to give, but I'm saying if you carry that guilt around, if you see someone homeless and you take it home with you and now three days later you still feel guilty about that one person that you saw, and then I think it's important to alleviate that guilt in some way by doing something that uh, moves toward a solution, if there is one. I mean, maybe there is no solution to homelessness. Maybe people will want to be homeless, be out of the system, not pay taxes. Maybe I'm looking for a solution when there's not necessarily one that needs to be made. You know, in some cases, of course. But in in other cases, maybe these people want to be out of the system. Maybe these people do have mental challenges and they need hospitalization. Maybe there's all kinds of maybes in here. But what systems are in place or what system can you create in that sense? And, And I'm just talking about homelessness again This isn't an episode about homelessness, but I'm just using it as a good example because it affects so many of us. You may have been homeless at one time. It may have been close. You may know someone that's homeless or has been homeless, but you certainly see them on the side of the road in almost every city and country in the world. And the question is, does guilt come up for you? 
If it doesn't come up, then this whole segment's not for you. <laughs> but if it does come up, then I want you to be able to do something with it. I want you to be able to alleviate it. Because I believe when you're carrying around negative emotions, guilt, shame, embarrassment, even fear and anger, when you're carrying these things around more often than not, they affect you. They affect your behavior. They affect your happiness. They affect your mood. They affect how you treat others. Feeling guilty about a homeless person that you saw three days ago, uh, you carry this guilt into your conversation with someone you love, and then suddenly that guilt turns into, I don't know, anger, uh, even self-deprecation where you blame yourself even though it's not your fault. These feelings, these emotions that we carry around can transform how we relate to others, how we relate to ourselves, how we view ourselves. And I think it's important to address these things in some way, shape, or form. Just because I see a homeless person now doesn't mean I don't feel bad. At the same time, I also know that there are people out there that aren't homeless, holding signs, asking for money, and it's sometimes hard to tell the difference. Uh, sometimes when they have nicer shoes and nicer pants than me, <laughs> I can tell the difference. That doesn't mean they're not in a bad situation. Again, I'm not trying to minimize or diminish homelessness or people in a bad place. But uh, I do get a little suspicious when they have a brand new backpack, they're clean shaven, they have clean clothes, and their shirt's tucked in, and so on and so forth. It's a judgment by me. I know it is. It's a shallow perspective because I should have compassion for every single person that I see and believe that no one is out to dupe me or con me. I should believe that, but I don't in all cases. <laughs> I do see these people that, like I said, have nicer shoes than I do. And I go, wait a minute, are these people really in need? And somebody might say, well, why would they be standing out on the street? And then I might respond because they know it's easy money. And, and they might say, well, that's a very shallow, compassionless attitude to have. And I go, you might be right. <laughs> I don't know. I might have to look at that in me. I don't know. But I do know there's a system in place that I support that they could easily go to if they needed help. And my girlfriend says, you need to give out cards to the homeless people so they know where to go. And I thought, okay, that's, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll gather some cards. <laughs> That's guilt on a global scale. I realize there are things that you've done to people that you might feel guilty about. Uh, something that you did to an individual that you feel bad about. I've done those things. I've had to get over those things. I've had to reach a new place with those things. We're going to talk a little bit more about guilt in the next segment, a very specific way regarding the uh, email that someone sent me. So we'll be right back and we'll talk about that shortly. So what is it? Uh, June 17th is Father's Day. And, you know, my dad, I know it's going to be, I'm going to start off with a downer here. My dad died a few years ago. And there were so many things I really wanted to ask him. I really wanted to know about his life. And uh, there was a place that my dad and I were at for about 10 years where we didn't talk. I didn't talk to my dad for 10 years. And then when I talked to him again, he was on his deathbed. He was 
getting ready to die. I mean, he didn't know he was going to die, but this was the beginning of the process. He had bone cancer. And uh, and uh, we started our relationship back up again. We started connecting again. I was able to connect with him from a new place. And I felt really good about getting to know him again. And a few weeks later, he died. That was really sad. And I really thought I'd have more time with him to be able to maybe ask him questions about his marriage to my mom, his marriage to his new wife, my stepmom. Uh, all kinds of things that I wanted to talk about with him, and I never got the opportunity. And so as Father's Day approaches, and our sponsor today, StoryWorth, uh, offers a service where a person can tell their story, it really hits me. It really makes me think, I wish I had this opportunity to give him this gift to tell me and the rest of my family, my brothers and sisters, his story. Because I only saw one side of him. I only saw the side of him that he showed to me. In the past, when I was a kid, I didn't care about his, quite honestly, I didn't care about his story. But as I grew older, I really started caring. I really wanted to know what his life was like. I mean, he was a roller skating champion when he was in his teens. That's an amazing story. I would have loved to have learned more about that. But I never asked. I was too self-absorbed in what I was doing. And didn't really care about his story. And as I grew older and ha- as he grew older and then it came close to his uh, passing, all of these questions came up for me and I never had a chance to ask them. So that's the downer part of this. But I want to bring it up again and let you know that you know, story worth is one of those gifts that you can purchase for someone you love. And each week they send them an email with a question about their life. And all they do is reply to the email with their story or they can even record it over the phone by calling a number. And StoryWorth will store their stories for a year. And at the end of the year, what they do is really cool. They print a beautiful hardcover book with all of these stories, even including pictures. I mean, talk about a way to strengthen your family bonds and get to know your loved one in a whole new way. I mean, this is a great way to learn about someone you love. You know, if your dad is still here, what a great gift. It's a way to preserve their memories and their stories and pass it on to their children and your children and other generations to come. I've already given StoryWorth as a uh, gift for two people. One for my girlfriend's mom on Mother's Day and one for my sister who I knew would love it. And she, uh, I think she's still doing it. She's got to be at the end of the year by now. I can't, I can't wait to see what she gets, but it's coming up and uh, she should be just about finished with her year of uh, questions and stories. Looking forward to that big time. So if you're thinking about a Father's Day gift, I want you to consider StoryWorth. Visit storyworth.com forward slash brain when you subscribe and you'll get $20 off. That's storyworth.com forward slash brain. You know, my dad passed many years ago and I know that sounded sad, but really to be able to connect with him and share some time with him before he passed was very special to me. I'm I'm going to hold that in my heart forever. So I'm not mourning about that or anything like that. We had a great reconciliation and a great reunion and a great reconnection. And he will always hold that special place in my heart. So with Father's Day coming up, let your dad or anyone you love tell their story. Get $20 off storyworth.com forward slash brain. Welcome back. We are done talking about homelessness 
for this episode at least. Uh, but the guilt topic continues. I'm going to read an email to you and talk about a slightly different type of guilt and a slightly different way to get there, which some of you may be experiencing or may have experienced. Let's see if we can help this person through their struggle. I'm going to read you this email. Where is it? I'm going to call this person Tim. Tim says, I've hit a huge roadblock in my life. It's impacting me, my relationship, and my ability to enjoy life. I listened to your story about uh, your stepfather and how you would walk on eggshells to the point of becoming a judgmental perfectionist. I had a different issue with my stepfather in that all of my hobbies were a waste of time to the effect that I can't pick them up in my adult life because I've been conditioned that it was bad or made me worthless. Writing, gaming, drawing, all of these things I absolutely enjoy, but I can't bring myself to pick them up because they make me feel guilty. How can I get over this and enjoy the things I enjoy again? All right. Thank you so much, Tim. That is a great question. And uh, I think, you know, one of the things I want to address first is the walking on eggshells part and how, uh, like you said, it uh, created a judgmental perfectionist in me. Uh, I think that's a good point. I think that um, when you are with someone that you feel like you can't be authentic with, that you realize might be sensitive to anything you do that might tick them off, that you tend to walk on eggshells, that you tend to be very careful around them. You don't say the wrong thing. You don't do the wrong thing. You try to be as perfect in their eyes so that uh, you don't incite bad behavior, angry behavior, violent behavior. And um, you, you, when you're a kid and, and this happens, or even an adult, you can tend to take this perfectionism with you. So I'd like to reiterate the point that you already made because that is exactly what happened to me. I became a judgmental perfectionist judging people who weren't perfect, judging people who did the quote wrong thing because they weren't up to the standards that I had created for myself. And those standards were based on a system that was dysfunctional. And that system was basically my stepfather not wanting to incite his bad behavior, not wanting to incite his violent outbursts. So what did I do? I made sure that I did only the things that I knew didn't upset him. And I got very good at it, unfortunately, because I took this perfectionism into my relationships, as probably you have too. Now, maybe the difference between you and I is that my stepfather never really cared what I did. So that was helpful. I could go out and ride my skateboard. I could walk to the bowling alley miles away. I mean, when I was 10 years old, I could do anything I wanted. And it was never a problem for him. He just didn't really seem to care. I mean, I think he cared about us kids. I think there was something there. I tend to remember some sort of caring. But at the same time, he was very dangerous to be around. And I think he only cared in his own way. He cared in a way that he cared but he didn't care in a healthy way that was good for us. And I think I received the least amount of abuse, uh, even though I've suffered some trauma from, you know, a lot of emotional stuff that had happened. And I still walked out of the family when I grew older with all these dysfunctions and unhealthy perceptions of the world that I brought into my adult life 
and ruined many things, caused a lot of problems for me. So I think about my other siblings and how they had to deal with it and some of the stuff they've gone through and some of the stuff they're still going through trying to resolve this in themselves, trying to heal it, trying to get through it. So we all walked away with um, some sort of set of characteristics that have affected our lives in some way. I mean, we all do. We all walk away with characteristics from childhood that affect our life in some way. What you walked away with was uh, feeling guilty for doing the things that you like to do. So my first question to you is, is there anything you like to do that you don't feel guilty doing? It's a good question. I mean, hopefully you can say yes. You can probably say yes. Well, you know, I, I rode my bike and I don't feel guilty about that because my stepfather never said anything about that. That may or may not be a good example for you, but, you know, maybe something can come up there. But um, I think it's important to connect with the things that you definitely like to do and don't feel guilty doing. I mean, maybe you don't have anything. But just to understand that you have the ability to like and not feel guilty. If that's a yes, if you do have something that you do like to do and you don't feel guilty about it, great. That's good. That means you have a resource inside you that you can access if you need to. Well, I don't feel guilty for fishing. Of course, he liked to fish and I didn't, but I, now I like to fish, you know, whatever it is for you. So just to keep in mind that you are capable of not feeling guilty and even feeling good doing something you like. I hope that's in there. If it's not, that's okay too. Just wanted to find out if that's in there. So regarding hobbies being a waste of time, this is where I would like to go bigger picture. I would want to ask your stepfather in your mind, I mean, this you can do in your own mind, uh, why do you want me to do what you want me to do when it doesn't seem to affect you at all? I would ask that question, you know, dad or whatever you call them, Joe, why do you want me to do what you want me to do when it doesn't affect you at all? Why don't you want me to read when it doesn't affect you? Think about what you come up with there. I want you to come up with some answers as if he were telling you what those answers were. You might have some interesting responses. Again, this is all in your mind, but I want you to come up with the answers that you come up with uh, just to find out where this goes. It's good to know what your mind is storing for his responses, if that makes sense. Because you may have some pre-programmed responses in there. You know, your mind might say, that's just a waste of time. You need to get a job and, you know, earn money like the rest of us do. And if that's the answer that comes up, then you can also ask, so if I'm earning money, is it okay to do this hobby? And then see what he says then. I mean, that might be a good question. And when you get the next opposition or negation to that, like, no, hobbies are a waste of time. You, after you're done working, you should come home and, you know, mow the lawn and clean the house and do all these other things. My next question would be, okay, if I got all those done too, would it be okay if I read or played a game or whatever? And see where you go with it. Keep challenging him in your mind. I think that's a good process. You might get stuck. He might win at first. But then you keep challenging him. Okay, if I do this, then could I read then? If I do that, could I read then? If I do that, could I play a game then? If I do that, could I draw then? See where he goes with it in your mind's eye. I know it's a little strange to, to do this in your mind, but 
we're looking for how your mind has uh, processed this information over the years. We're looking for the programming. Because what's programmed in there? You're, you're going to find out what's programmed in there as you ask questions, as you grill, as you challenge. And even if you don't have time to do any of these hobbies after all of this, start asking other questions like, you might want to get a little crazy with these questions. What if I lost my legs in a car accident and I couldn't walk? And now I have, uh, now I am disabled and I'm in a wheelchair. Would you be against me doing a hobby then or reading then? You know, what if I got a job where I could sit down all the time and I still had time to read after that, but I couldn't mow the lawn? You know, these are the challenges that you want to present to the representation of that person in your mind. I really like challenging the people in our mind because they're our creations. Those people are representations of our limitations. The representation of that person is limiting you. He is talking to you because he's making you feel guilty. And so what do you need to do? You need to challenge him. You need to put him on the spot. You need to paint him into a corner until he has no choice but to say what you want to hear. I'm not saying you force him to go, well, you stop making me feel guilty. I'm saying you literally challenge him. Challenge him with logic or emotion. Challenge him with emotion. You can ask, don't you love me? He might say no. No, I don't love you. Oh, well, that hurts. Now I have some other feeling going on. I might have to deal with some worth issues. Maybe I have a low self-worth. If you have low self-worth, I've done episodes on that. We can talk about that too. Maybe I feel ashamed. Or maybe he says, of course I love you, and this is why I'm telling you to do these things. And then you might have to ask, well, how does that equate to love? And you'll find out some deeper meaning behind that representation's purpose in your mind. If this sounds a little obtuse, sorry. <laughs> but the idea is to find out what has been programmed in your mind to keep you from living the life that you want to live completely, wholly, without guilt, freely, without worry, doing what you want to do in your life, why is he still there in your mind? Now, he may still be in your life. I don't think you said, yeah, you didn't really mention if he is in your life still. If he's still in your life, that's a whole different story because now he's still impacting you in the real world. But if you're fighting with the representation of him in your mind, that's when you have more control. You can even talk to him as if he's a child and say, you have no right to tell me what to do. You have no right over my life. I'm going to play a game whether you like it or not and see what he says, see what he does. This is all in the mind and your mind is very powerful. It's where most of your power lies and it's where most of your limitations lie as well but you are in control. So that's one aspect. This is one thing I want you to do is, is start asking these types of questions. Now, the second thing I want you to do is because you sound like a creative person, you like to draw, you like to write, you like to game, you like to read, there's a, a secret formula that I use and it's for getting over writer's block. You know, when I have to write a blog article or anything, if I can't get past my own thought processes or I'm stuck or if I think I'm not good enough to write this article. I don't know enough to write this article. I have very limited knowledge here. If I have all these things coming up for me and I'm just sitting there with my pencil or my keyboard, unable to write, unable to create, 
what I do is I create what I'm thinking about in the moment. And in your case, let's just say it, it comes to drawing and you feel guilty. What I would recommend is you draw your guilt. You don't resist it. You embrace it. You use it as fuel for your creativity. You can write about your guilt. You can explore it that way. You can write all about it. You can write about your stepdad. The idea is to address what you're resisting. I say that about anxiety too. You address the anxiety instead of resisting the anxiety. You address the guilt instead of resisting the guilt. You bring it up because if you resist it, it becomes blockage in your system. And I know I'm oversimplifying it here, but when it comes to an emotional flow in your body, you block the emotional flow. You block the creativity by resisting what's going on inside of you. So if I were in your shoes and I started to write something and I felt guilt come up, you know, my, my stepfather would hate me for doing this and he would say I'm no good and I'm worthless. That's what I'm going to write. My stepfather thinks I'm worthless. And then I would write the next line. I feel worthless doing this. I feel worthless because I should be working. I should be making money. I shouldn't be wasting time on what comes up for you, on things that children do. I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying whatever's in your mind is what comes out on paper or on your computer or wherever your creativity is. You bring what you're experiencing into your creative outlet. And you'll find that you'll be able to address what you're resisting in your creativity. It's very helpful. If you can really embrace this, it's very helpful. A lot of musicians do this. My girlfriend did this as part of her healing process from childhood sexual abuse. She wrote the song Fiona, the Renegade. And when this song just sprung up in her head one night, she woke up, went to her keyboard, her music keyboard, and started writing the song and wrote the lyrics and wrote the music. And by the end of the day, she had most of it done. This turned into a music video. This music video became a movement, the Fiona Project. And the movement is now blossoming into a healing process for a lot of people trying to heal from child sexual abuse. But this all started off with her allowing these emotions to come up and these thoughts to come up and addressing them and using them as fuel for her creativity, for her passion, for her path. And it was a huge part of her healing. Now, as for gaming and other hobbies that make you feel guilty, here's what I suggest. I want you to reward yourself after a job well done. It's sort of like you come home from a long day of hard work and then you reward yourself with something because you did the work. It's sort of like, you know, you mow the lawn for two hours, you did the work, now you deserve a reward. This is positive reinforcement. This will associate something productive, something that you worked hard on, with something good. And when it's associated with something good, then the more you do this good thing, the more you feel good about it. So the reward system can be very helpful as well. For example, you know, you, you clean the kitchen, you feel really good about it, and now you can play a game for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I would say limit the time that you do the thing first so that you can gradually diminish the resistance of doing the thing that you like to do. 
I like that idea. If you want to do it for five minutes, do what you like to do for five minutes. Just give yourself that tiny little window so that you can build that allowance system, that permission system. And then next time, maybe six minutes. I mean, literally set a timer. Nope, I got to stop now. And you can go on with your day. This will build up. This is going to be helpful for you. You reward yourself for some hard work that you did. And then you uh, do what you like to do for 5, 10, 15 minutes. And then you stop yourself. And then you're on to something else. Doing this really offsets any guilt that comes up. Because there's always a task accomplished. But if you've done nothing to earn the hobby time, you may not get that uh, accomplishment feeling. So that's why it might be a good idea for you to do something, quote, productive. Do something like hard work. Clean something. Move something. (laughs) Mow the lawn. Whatever. And then reward yourself. You'll feel the accomplishment. You'll get rewarded for the accomplishment. And you'll slowly diminish any guilt around actually doing things that you like. Because someday you're going to be able to go, you know what, I had a hard week. I'm going to reward myself all day and do exactly what I want to do. Now, wouldn't that be nice? You feel good all day. This is when guilt may start taking a back seat and eventually disappear. Thanks for your message, Tim. I hope this helps. And thanks for listening to another episode. We'll be right back, close the show, and uh, give you my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com forward slash brain and get $20 off your subscription. Father's Day is right around the corner uh, if you're listening to this before June 17th. But if you're not, there's so many other people that this gift would be perfect for. Storyworth.com forward slash brain. And I want to thank someone that goes by Steph Kanipa, I think. This person gave me a great review in the Stitcher app. I don't know if you know about the Stitcher app, but Stitcher is a podcast platform that uh, you can find the overwhelmed brain in as well. Five stars. Thank you, Steph. I appreciate you. That's very kind of you. And I want to thank any contributor to the show, and I mean anyone, anyone that has purchased a book, anyone that has donated, anyone that has used the Amazon link at theoverwhelmedbrain.com, and especially, of course, the patron members who show their support every month. I appreciate you. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com or you can use the Amazon button at the website. Every time you shop there, it helps the show. And, uh, of course, the donate button. And if you do join the patron program, it's not just about giving. It's also about getting. You get back a ton of private episodes, free workbooks and worksheets, a video library archive of uh, my past teachings and things that I've recorded, and uh, even e-coaching. So check it out, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I want to mention something I'm creating that's in the initial stages right now, and that is a private mastermind business and life group for coaches, counselors, therapists, and healers of any sort that are currently working with clients and want to thrive both personally and professionally. This is an exclusive premium group for select individuals that uh, want to connect learn, share, and grow with like-minded professionals in a confidential, safe environment so that you can share your goals for your business and ask questions of those who've been there 
or are on the way to where you want to be. It's also a place where you can express your personal struggles, vent about your challenges, and ask about client issues that you'd like input on. People helpers helping people helpers, or what I'm calling coaches for coaches. Again, this will be an exclusive group, so not everyone will be accepted. There is criteria that members will have to meet because what we put into the group will equate to what comes out of the group. In other words, we want everyone to be at a level that is resourceful for others. If you're just starting out, this is probably not the group for you. There is a cost involved. I've done free masterminds and they simply don't work. There's less interaction and members simply disappear off the radar. When there's skin in the game, you're more invested in yourself and the success of others. So if you're a coach, counselor, therapist, or healer and want more details about joining me and other professionals in this exclusive group, send an email to thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And I'd like to end the show with a couple more comments on guilt. One of the things I felt guilty about um, as I grew older was how I treated my younger stepbrother. When he was four, I was 14, and I would, you know, have to babysit him, and uh, I didn't resent that at all, but, uh, you know, at 14, I'm still in that experimental stage of being a kid. I'm learning what's right and what's wrong. I'm trying to figure out morality. I'm trying to figure out how to behave, and uh, I did some things to my little brother that I don't really feel good about, and... Many, many years later, when uh, my dad was dying, in fact, I got to see him again because I hadn't seen my stepbrother or my dad in 10 years. They were in the same city. And I got to see him again, and I got to reconcile with him and uh, make up for some lost years. And I just I just took him aside one night, and I said, you know, I don't know what you remember from when you were a kid, but I'm really sorry. And he just kind of looked at me funny, and I said, you know, I... I fed you cat food, I made you think that I had magic powers, I, and I did a lot of things that I didn't feel good about. I should have been more of a bigger brother to you, one who protects you, one who really stands up for you, instead of getting you in trouble. I mean, I, I got him in trouble with my dad. I, I probably got him the belt when my dad pulled out the belt when we were in trouble. I felt awful knowing that I did these things to him. And I just said, I'm so sorry for what I did. And he looked at me and he said, I don't remember anything you're talking about. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, but it's okay. I don't remember it. And obviously it didn't have a lasting impact on me. And I went inside my mind and I was thinking, you know, I carried this guilt for so long about what I did to him. And he didn't even remember it. But I did need to come to that place of closure in me. I want you to come to a place of closure with any guilt that you're feeling. The time has passed. Whatever you did was in the past. And if you feel guilty about it now, I always go to a place of what can you do about it now? What can you do about how you feel? What can you fix? What can you say? Who can you talk to? Who can you tell you're sorry? What can you do to help alleviate the guilt. I'm not saying that you won't feel bad. I still feel bad. It's not, the things I did to him were not good big brother things. Some of them were just mean. But I don't want you to carry around guilt. Guilt can be dealt with. It can be worked with. Even if the person isn't here anymore. 
you can still do things to make up. It may not make up for everything, but it can make up in a way where it helps alleviate the guilt. For example, if uh, you did something to someone and they're no longer around, they can't be reached or they've passed on, what can you do for someone else to make up for what you did to them? That's where I go with it. I'm not saying this is a magic pill. I'm not saying this resolves everything. But what can you do, if not for that person, for someone else? Or in my case, when I felt bad about you know, abusing my animals when I was younger because I used to smack them for peeing on the carpet or whatever. I made up for that by taking care of animals better than I have ever done and committing my life to their life and doing everything possible to make their life easy and wonderful and happy. That's what I needed to do to get through uh, any guilty feelings that I had. And it does work. What can you do? If you have guilt, what can you do? What can you do now? It may not be for that person, but it can be for someone else. And if you can't think of what you can do, just keep an open mind so that you can step into your power. Ideas will come. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. credit card bill.